hello and welcome to the Health Focus Podcast. My name is Robbie Bennett and on today's episode I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Fanula McHale. Fanula is a medical doctor and functional medicine expert practicing out of Dublin, Ireland. On this episode we're going to talk about all things good health related. We'll be talking about the relationship between the gut and the brain. We're going to be talking about different sorts of neurotransmitters and and how they're actually producing the gut. We'll be talking about probiotics and much, much more. So what I'd recommend is you grab a pen and paper and you do take notes as you're going through the podcast. As Vanilla just has so much amazing information to share with us. So on that note, let's get straight into the interview. So Vanilla, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks for coming on. Um, just for all the listeners out there, could you give a brief uh, description about yourself? Okay, I suppose I am a medical doctor um, by origin. Uh, I suppose I started off studying conventional medicine and my background prior to that would have been very science focused. So I suppose I mentioned that because it leads into where I'm at at the moment. So to put in perspective, like I would have been doing research in the lab from the age of 14. So my first publication was in like fuel cell technology and physics at the Young Scientist Exhibition. Um, And then from there, I would have done a lot of research post while I was in college. So I did work with mesenchymal stem cells and um, actually was in the Mayo Clinic at one point doing like heart transplants in animals. pigs and and monkeys so that was super interesting and I always have loved science because both my parents would be in the science field so my father professor my mother is a lecturer in biotechnology and biomedical science Um, and so I always loved the molecular side of things you know and it became problematic for me when I went to medicine something I'd always really wanted to do and something I worked really damn hard to get into in the first place and found that the science element wasn't really there to the extent that I would have expected it to be in the sense that okay we do anatomy and physiology biochemistry maybe in the first year and then it's kind of gone to the point where it's like okay the person has this symptom this sign they fit into this category of the diagnosis and thus we go to the list of medications of what's going to help this person so a doesn't work go to b b doesn't work increase the dose or add to especially i suppose in the context of today when we're going to be talking about mood disorder it becomes super relevant so, so relate symptoms to medications yeah exactly yeah. and it's just felt very simplified um, and don't get me wrong there's certainly a role for it and I understand that GPs don't have a huge amount of time and some people are happy enough to take a medication but for me it became even more distressing to put it mildly when I became unwell myself so I think I was maybe in third year medicine and you know I was getting sick in the sense that I had problems with my stomach um, I couldn't sleep, I had no energy. I went from a person who had been super motivated, super into sports, you know, I used to do swimming. So that's like training twice a day. I was gonna mention that. So when, when you were in college, were, were you lifting at this stage? Were you health conscious, were you training? Funny enough, you know, when I went to college, I wasn't, I did a bit of water polo and swimming like with my friends, but certainly not at the level I'd done in the past. But what I was doing was going to the gym. And Robbie, I, you would be astounded to hear this, but I was, I would run for one hour. Like I was yeah. so in I would go on that treadmill for 60 minutes exactly like and i'd run i think it was maybe 10 kilometers an hour like and i would then maybe the last 20 minutes i push 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 but i did this every day you know and it was funny enough when i did get sick i got to the point where there's all these medications i was taking you know sleeping tablets like problems for my tummy whether it was laxative or you know pain medication 
Uh, they put me on the pill because I had severe acne. I took Roaccutane at one stage, and I don't know whether it was the, the Roaccutane possibly could have contributed to my major downfall, but I got to the point, to be perfectly honest, where I think I spent nearly a month in bed. I didn't go anywhere. I just couldn't get out of bed. Like in hindsight, I know what it was now, but at the time you can imagine my frustration when I'm studying medicine, something I'm really passionate about. And I went into it to be quite honest because my grandfather who would have taken on the role as my father, um, not to go into too many personal details, but he um, had cancer and he recovered, lung cancer recovered initially. And my idea was I'm going to go into medicine because I want to help cure my grandfather. So in any case, he did pass away, which was, obviously distressing but and it was around the same time I became unwell but I couldn't understand like at whatever age I was maybe 20 21 I have this whole cabinet of pills and I get one symptom I get another medication I just for me scientifically didn't make any sense so I spent that month in bed and for whatever reason there was just one day I decided frick this pardon the language, I'm just going to go to the gym and see can I do anything. So I go to the gym in Trinity yeah. and whatever about the day, it's like sometimes all these things align like and I suppose you have to have faith when things like that happen but I was there on the treadmill running, running, running. Now you can imagine I haven't spoke to anyone in a month. Yeah, I've been yeah. in bed <laughs> and this trainer comes up to me and he starts talking and initially I'm like, oh God, please don't talk to me. Like, I just want to run. Like, I'm getting my training. Yeah, and he's, he asks, okay, what, why, you know, why do you come to the gym for? You're always here. He's asking questions. And so he's like, oh, maybe you should try some weight training. And I was like, what is this guy talking to me for? So anyways, I went along with it as normally. I wouldn't be like rude to people. So I, okay, I'll listen to this guy now for a while and I can get out of here. <laughs> And so he's telling me he was going to show me some, some weights. I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. I did it. And funny enough, the day after, I felt sore everywhere. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I've been missing for so many years because in swimming, you're sore all the time, you know? And I couldn't understand. I'm doing all this running and like, it's, I'm not even sore. I'm not pushing myself. So that was probably where I started off with the weight training and also with probably dietary changes too. Um, but that was, I suppose, a pivotal moment for me in the sense that he probably was the person that directed me towards Charles Poliquin because he was Poliquin qualified. Yeah. And I suppose it went from there in terms of my... That's a nice way to start, actually, weight training. Yeah. So Poliquin qualified rather Yeah, because than... funny enough, you know, I would have been the type of person I thought, oh, I'd have my Alpin in the morning. And because I would have been, I would have suffered eating disorders in the past, I would have been like, okay, the less I eat, the better. And like Alpin is good for me. So I'll just eat one portion of Alp Alpin a day and I'll go like that for a while. And then he starts talking to me about like water and uh, he's saying there's toxins in the water and he was going on. For me, I was like, this guy's mad. Like, you know, mm. I wasn't, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll just listen to this. But then I did start to do little things because I trust him more. The more he, I recognised that he was good at this weight training stuff, the more I trust him, the more I listen to him. So the more you get, you create buy-in when you see results, when you start exactly. saying, okay, well, maybe there's something to this. Exactly. And like I said, I would have been the type of person that, like even my mum would have been, mum and dad would have been quite like natural focused in terms of like food and like my mother would have given me a sports nutrition book when I was like 13 doing swimming. So she'd be all into like the whey protein and all the rest. And so... 
like when someone would say to try herbs I'd be like oh there's no evidence to back that up like that's <laughs> just nonsense like, yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden I change from this person who's taking all these medications like gets to the point where I'm in bed for a month and then I'm starting to open my mind and I think that's the most important thing because I start to realize there is actually another way not only did I start to get better in the sense I wasn't staying in bed all day but I started to feel better my stomach wasn't at me I didn't have problems with my mood like I would have had no periods for a good two three years prior to that I stopped the pill all of those things and just life really turned around for me and that was really only the start of my journey you know the only small things that gave me like that inspiration to say okay like maybe there is another way maybe all of this stuff that I'm learning here is valuable in one context but there is another way and I suppose you can become very linear-minded when you're in, I suppose, a system that fosters an education that's been the same for maybe like 20, 30, 40 years, yeah. you know, so... I and when you're going a different direction, you know, you, people looking at you saying, you're not doing the same old, same old, you're going against the grain. You are, and you don't make many friends that way either. Now, what... People don't like change. Pardon? People don't like change. No, and like I said, I can understand that now because I was like that. And I would have been very much, this is medicine, it's Trinity, it's the best university in Ireland, so mm. whatever they're saying is gospel. And it's not that it's not, there's no merit in what they're saying, of course there is, and certainly applicable to the acutely ill, but when it comes to someone who was like me, 21 or 20, whatever age I was, and a whole cabinet full of tablets, you start to wonder what's going on here. And, and like medicine, conventional medicine is very, oversimplified oh you have this ill take this medication go down that path or that route yeah i just it just didn't like okay if we take science a basic biochemistry the process of glycolysis krebs cycle yeah we look mm. all the intermediate pro process that have to go on for this cell to function one cell mm. and all the cofactors all the enzymes in that one cell that's just energy energy metabolism and we say everybody's the same that idea just didn't sit well with me either and yeah. I suppose it was when I went I actually started off doing the PICP yeah which thing. is a, was a pollen course at the time yeah uh, the strength training and I met Charles then maybe at the biosig and it was actually him that I owe for where I am right now because he said I remember sitting there and he was asking me I don't know you had to say what you were doing or whatever and he's I said oh you know I'm a doctor and I just doing this for my own interest or whatever and then he was like well like why don't you pursue functional medicine if you love it so much and I was like oh well I'm worried because you know it's not really accepted or like people would think I was a bit you know it wouldn't be in keeping with the background I have like for example I would have been like a high achieving person you know people expect me to go into like surgery and be a, like a professor or something you know and this is kind of going against that grain and it's not really a direct career route to success in inverted commas mm. so he said well and I was kind of oh I'm just a bit nervous you know and he was like never he said never apologize for doing something that you feel will help someone else so when he said that I was like this like if it doesn't work out I go back and do something else 
but this is my passion and I believe this in my heart, my gut, my mind, everything says this is right. And so I went from there, I did the functional medicine, the AFMCP, it was actually in London at the time. And then they okay. sent out the coursework, you know, the books you have to read before you go to the course. And I was like, all this biochemistry and science and pathways and interactions and cofactors and enzymes and I was just in heaven. So for even some of the listeners out there that might not even be familiar with functional medicine, we're talking about it because we may have a little bit of, um, of an interest in it, but also we're going to in that field. Mm. Essentially, how would you describe functional medicine to some of the listeners that have never heard of it? Well, functional medicine, I suppose, is integrative medicine yeah. in the sense that we're looking at all of the different systems of the body as a whole. So instead of with conventional medicine, whereby we have endocrinology, gastroenterology. And separating the systems. Exactly. So if we have a problem with our hormones, we go to endocrinologist. Or a problem with our gut, we go to gastroenterologist. Problem with our mood, psychiatrist. With functional medicine, it's not that we don't need those specialties, because we certainly do, but that there's somebody else as part of your health journey and in terms of helping you get well that looks at you as a whole. So how maybe the gut might be affecting your mood? Is it the be all and end all of why you have mood disorder? Absolutely not. But is it one thing that if we address from even a food supplement perspective that you might start to feel more well, not only mood wise, but in other parameters of life? Yes. Will it affect the hormones? Of course it will. So we get into that in more detail, but functional medicine is is about looking at the person as a whole yeah. rather than just isolating one side of things. So for example, my go to endocrinologist for there for 15 minutes, they only want to talk about the hormones and that's it. They only want to test the hormones. Whereas someone come to me, I could be with them for an hour, an hour and a half initially trying to figure out what's going on for them. What has been their history that's potentially led to where they're at at the moment. So even something like childhood trauma, it might have happened when we were three or four or five years old. It's very significant but though. But that can have a massive impact on the health of where we're at the moment. Something I know only too well. Mm. And like I said, I know a lot of things now and I've gained a lot of wisdom by virtue of my own health journey because in the past, I probably would have said, oh geez, should that just happen to me when I was a kid? So if anyone doesn't know, I would have had what we call an adverse childhood experience. And as such, that has shaped my health journey and it is part of my path to getting more well and in the past like I said I would have said oh well that happened to me in the past so it's not really relevant at the moment but now I know it is and I know that with my clients too so functional medicine in that perspective when we are looking at the person as a whole becomes an individualized medicine in the sense that every person is going to be different every person's experiences of the world are different their perceptions of the world are different and like I said it's a biochemical basis so a lot of the the testing is there now which wasn't in the past where we can identify biomarkers so it's not just okay I think this diet might work well for you or maybe try to supplement because you have x y or z symptoms because if we take that approach it becomes not dissimilar to conventional medicine but when we have access to more thorough testing that's when we can pinpoint exactly what that person needs. So someone might have anxiety, but the cause of one person's anxiety might be different to someone else. Yeah. So I'm going to stop you there. Okay. And let's kind of segue on to, when you look at the conventional medicine approach, they look at systems. So mm. I listen to a lot of your stuff on Instagram and your content I've seen you present. And I think you, you present fantastically about mental health and mood disorders, stuff like that. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. If you look at the conventional medicine approach of mood disorders, mm. correct me if I'm wrong, but they generally they'll look at neurotransmitters or a chemical imbalance within the brain. Well, actually not so much. Okay. Because realistically, if we look at psychiatry 
And don't get me wrong, I think psychiatry is super valuable and certainly yeah. for people who are acutely unwell, they d like I do recommend people are going to a psychiatrist as well as a therapist as well as coming to someone like me. So okay. it's an integrative approach between all of those people because medications are invaluable for certain people. Mm. Um, but there are other things that we can do. And I suppose psychiatry at the moment, remember we have like the DSM or the ICD and that what they do in psychiatry now is not even based on a biochemical basis really. It's largely to do with what symptoms do you have that fit into this DSM diagnostic criteria. So do you have low mood, um, lack of interest in things you have do enjoy, uh, feelings of guilt, shame, uh, and then are persisting for a certain period of time so they would all fit into depression versus okay. anxiety the same thing we look at the symptoms tick the box and do they fit into this category and actually i suppose i was reading an article recently on looking at uh, psychiatry and the base of diagnosis and i suppose looking at the fact that you know realistically it's not that cut and dried for example even i see it like there's very rarely a person who just has depression they often have features of anxiety, they might also have eating disorders, or they might have had episodes of psychosis. So, you know, it, it, it's very rare that you see people that are just depressed or just anxious, you know, or just eating disorder or just addiction. Addiction is a classic example. So when you have a, a man or woman walk into you on the very first consultation and they're coming to you with a mood disorder, let's say they are suffering from anxiety and depression, what sort of route do you take with them? Obviously, you're, you're going to take history and you're going to see what got them to that situation in the first place but when we look at different routes that we can we can walk down we, we can look at neurotransmitters we can look at good health digestion or even the food they're eating can you give the listeners some strategies or some information of what route you might take because you, you definitely know a lot more than others with how powerful nutrition supplementation is absolutely and i suppose that's this when we're looking at someone with depression anxiety or mixed features of both Exactly, that's the thing, where do you start? So again, the hi clinical history is invaluable. So you get so many snippets of what might be going on for that person. And first and foremost, what anybody with a science or medical background tends to forget, and I, like I said, I would have been one of those people in the past, is the role of the psychological experience for that person. So things that we can't do a test for, things that we can't identify as you need mm. supplement for, yeah. and that is first and foremost. So what has gone on in that person's life? So again, there are a lot of people with mood disorder that have experienced adverse childhood experience. Now that could be something major like sexual abuse, physical abuse, violence or lack of nurturing from the parents. So those would all be childhood maltreatment or abuse. And again, that can be something as small as, remember if a child, a child very young, they don't have the capacity to rationalize things. So let's say there's an alcoholic in the home and there's a little child like five years old, like imagine somebody, a child that you know in your family or friends mm. and they're that age. And they have this mother or father who's loving and caring for them and they give them hugs, they give them cuddles and then one day they turn into a monster. So that's so hard for that child's little brain to understand. Like they, they haven't got the capacity to do that. So when those things happen, their brain adapts in a certain way. So 
which leads them to prone to mood disorders. So again, the research shows that the hippocampus changes in volume when that, those experiences occur. Now that's one avenue. So yeah. the, like I said, it's something that we often forget when we have a science or, or medical background because we're so used to like, okay, it's serotonin, it's dopamine, yeah. it's one of those things. And we just, we go straight to that. But the truth of the matter is, with functional medicine and I think any approach to healthcare, we have to look at not only the biochemical things that we can do through food, nutrition and all the our supplements, but equally the other things that we can do that add up to best results for a, like the full picture for best results. So I always say I can give you the best diet in the world based on testing uh, for whether let's say, because we know the gut has a huge impact on mood. I mean, might go into that further yeah. in detail. The hormones have a huge impact on mood as any woman who's had a period will know. You know? <laughs> And um, nutritional deficiencies, simple as B6, can have a huge impact on mood. But even if we replace all of those things, even if we get give the best medication in the world, you know, if, let's say we do a test and we know, okay, that person needs help with serotonin. If they don't address the root cause, which again comes back to functional medicine, which is the history of trauma, that person is never going to get full results. They're never going to get free of those symptoms. And recovery from trauma, it doesn't happen overnight. You know. Yeah. Now, like I said, there's other people who would experience maybe mild symptoms of mood disorder, and more common, I would say, is anxiety in today's. Yeah, anxiety or overwhelm. Yeah, and so in those cases where there is no major trauma, remember we're look. There's a huge continuum between generalized anxiety disorder, yes. and mild anxiety we experience, if as a result of stress. So yes, stress. acute stress or yeah. you know, chronic sustained. And even if we're looking at the role of the gut and things people at home can start to look at in themselves, is the role of the gut is huge. So again, without going too much into the research, we know that even probiotics, prebiotics, combination of both symbiotics can have a huge impact on blunting the physiological effect of stress on the system. So how, remember it's how we perceive the stress, how we cope with that stress that will help alleviate the symptoms of anxiety such okay. as they, it's like people sometimes they get stressed and like don't, I'm not immune to it either but it can be yeah. difficult to think rationally. We can find it hard to, you know, certain people will hyperventilate, they get sweating and then they can't go into the situations, fear um, and just that feeling of overwhelm, being overwhelmed and so First and foremost, to be honest, I always look at what's going on with that gut because I really do think it's one of the most exciting fields that we can see in the literature at the moment. So we, we know that certain strains like, okay, again, I don't want to go into too much specifics, but Bifidobacterium longum, longum lactobacillus helveticus have been shown in the research to be hugely beneficial for depression. Okay, so some listeners are saying, what the hell is that? I'm, probiotics. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a step back. So Sorry. When you mentioned probiotics and you said it can even help with stress or even help with mood disorders. Mm. Some of the listeners out there are, might be my clients, your patient, and going, right, well, I need to go out and get probiotics, so I'm going to go to the closest health shop I can and, and buy them. But you, um, yourself and myself know that there's different spectrums of probiotics. Mm. There's soil-based, there's spore-based, um, there's different, uh, let's say, degrees or different levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so well, where do you even start with probiotic supplementation? Mm. Or should we, like, should everyone even consider probiotic supplementation? No, I actually don't recommend everybody yeah. take probiotics. The reason being is we know so much about what those 
bugs in the gut do for human health, whether it's the immune system, whether it's communication with the, with the brain, a simple level of how we digest nu nutrients um, and, and hormone regulation too, uh, that if someone is not symptomatic of any gut issues, I don't tend to recommend probiotics. Now, the majority of people that come to me, we do tests like, you know, so that would help identify in, in someone who's symptomatic with the gut. So let's so say this. test for the gut health? We look at the stool tests. So if someone experiencing bloating, um, irregular bowel habits, so one day they might have diarrhea, the next day they have constipation, or they have either of those two for Stomach prolonged. Stomach pain after meals even. Exactly. And uh, burping, gas, foul smelling, all of those things. But bear in mind, slightly different topic, but some people won't have overt GI symptoms if mm. they're eating clean. So that, that becomes a gray area in the sense that they can be masking symptoms. So what you might see in those people is joint aches and pains, brain fog in the morning. Those things might also guide you towards a stool test, autoimmune conditions, with thyroid, for example. So they still might have a poor stool test but they might be not necessarily be experiencing digestive type symptoms exactly they, okay. so what often happens is you have people to do the food allergy test you know and they start to avoid all the foods and so for a while they feel better they do elimination diet they feel better but as they go through life or through months and months and months the symptoms they have to keep excluding more and more food and like i say to people it's not always the food that's the problem at that stage but rather that why is the immune system reacting to this food that otherwise should be able to come into the system and not cause any problems and the truth of the matter is it's generally a case of what we call dysbiosis which mm. to keep it simple is a global term we use to describe imbalance in the gut flora now that can mean that someone simply has low growth of good bacteria it may mean that they have a parasite there so again things like blastocystis diantamoeba are not uncommon um, from my patient population and fungal overgrowth um, and bacteria there it's not supposed to be there citrobacter froda is quite common in the IBS population and those symptoms resolve once we rectify those issues so but why do you think people are getting that in the first place do you think it's yeah. uh, pure immune poor immune system do you think it's chronic stress is that poor nutrition low stomach yeah. acid what, what do you think some of the factors are? Well, I suppose when it comes to dysbiosis, one of the big things is stress. So stress does have a powerful impact on how the bugs reside in the gut. Mm. Um, poor diet, obviously, is huge. So if we eat a bad diet that doesn't foster growth of good bacteria, then you run into a situation whereby we don't have enough good bacteria and thus the immune system can't function as well as it ought to so that we can't defend against any pathogenic microflora. Similarly, I suppose to go back to stress, yeah. one of the biggest things I see is, remember we have what we call the cephalic phase of digestion. So that means that the brain has to have time to know that food is gonna come in. So that means- Some people call it the Pavlovian effect. Oh, Pav Pavlov's dog. What is Pavlov again? I don't. I remember. That was a story about how he would feed a dog at a certain time, but he would ring a bell. Oh yeah, before. you know I used to use that in speeches when I was debating before Pavlovian <laughs> response. Yeah. It's like oh yeah, it's like a routine or like a. So the dog would salivate every time he heard the bell because he knew he was expecting food. Okay, I didn't know that part of it. Yeah, okay, yeah. but uh, that, that's exactly it. So the dog knows he's getting the food. He starts to salivate. Yeah, so salivation is producing saliva in the mouth, and that saliva has enzymes that ignite the initial phases of digestion. So. If we're not digesting the food properly in the upper part of the digestive canal, which means the mouth, so chewing. Um, Mechanical digestion, yeah. 
mechanical digestion in the acids in the stomach but I suppose what's pertinent is that time before meal consumption so say if I'm sitting at the office yeah and Clyde just finished I have 10 minutes to eat my food before the next one comes in and there's a million emails on my phone I'm flicking through the phone I'm horsing the food into me with this thing I'm not even taking time to know that I'm eating food coming in so in that context like there no there's nothing going on in terms of acid production enzyme production uh, I'm probably not even chewing it you know yeah, so yeah. bring it down yeah, and imagine all that food's going down into the stomach and it's not being properly broken down and then it goes further down the tube and then it's all sticky and not broken down properly and what happens we're going to end up with symptoms you know well, I, I always say to my well, clients as well like our body isn't supposed to absorb macromolecules proteins fats or the long chain carbohydrates it's just not designed to mm -hmm. so when it kind of gets to the digestive tract it should be broken down in those it should definitely and remember the other important factor when we're talking about dysbiosis is that acid in the stomach is supposed mm. to kill a lot of microorganisms before they get down further yeah so if we like the ideal circumstance is when we're going to eat a meal we go to the shop we're looking at the food in the shop we're feeding it we're we're smelling it as we're cooking it mm. and then maybe an hour later we have the food an hour even two hours later we have the food and we're there cooking it and that cannot happen in real life <laughs> for obvious reasons yeah. or you're um, even sitting and having it with company yeah exactly so we all know if we're out for a meal what do we do we have a menu so when we see on the menu what we're going to eat it, like it's an instinct we think about okay it's going to look like uh, prawns or it's going to look like steak and so we're imagining all of these things and then that's part of that cephalic phase of digestion that's saying okay this food's going to be coming in it could be another half an hour before that food comes into the stomach so that's already given time for that to happen then we're eating with company so automatically we're not going to be sitting there like looking at the emails or looking at instagram eating the food mm. you know so those things all contribute to dysbiosis as well as obviously history of antibiotic use okay when i was growing up we all take the antibiotics you yeah. know um get a little bit of a sniffle yeah yeah and remember when it comes to the gut do we we get our microflora as you pass through the vagina canal of the mother so mm. again it's important to look at the maternal health as well and see if there's any underlying issues there and again stress during childhood is a huge one too like there's a lot of research to show that's the case as well um well, you, you talk about like getting your good flora from your mother mm. but also you look at breast milk and you look at hmo mm. human milk oligosaccharides mm -hmm. and oligosaccharides for any listeners out there are essentially fibers that we can't digest mm -hmm. so why is there fibers that we can't digest in human breast milk well, I suppose it's a prebiotic yeah, exactly. element, you know, mm. so it's there to encourage, like prebiotics, I would say, are like the food for the good bacteria. Yeah. So they provide a growth medium such that those bugs can start to grow. You know, every microorganism needs fuel for growth. So those things provide that nutrient source for those bugs to keep growing you know and again like breastfeeding i don't know about you rob you're a few years younger than me but <laughs> i know my day like breastfeeding wasn't commonplace like you know yeah. and um look at some of the crap in formula as well which is just crazy mm, mm. so i i think things are turning now nowadays yeah. i think it's more commonplace but again there's other factors involved in breastfeeding too it can be challenging for mothers some mothers you know so I suppose you do everything you can to give the child the best 
the best chance of having that good microflora because not only does it set them up for problems with the gut itself but also immune disorders and obviously issues as we say with the gut brain axis so like when we, when we look at the gut as well there's a lot of research coming out that we, we see majority of our serotonin is producing our gut mm. we look at our immune systems housing our gut. we even look at some hormones like melatonin that are producing our gut is there any significance to that like do, does that stuff even have a an influence over our mood or is it more for the, our bacteria and our motility of the gut help food pass through? Well, yeah, I think it's a combination of both. So when we talk, a lot of people talk about the gut-brain axis but often forget to also works both ways. So. The gut-brain axis essentially from my understanding is the link between how our, our brain chemistry is and our digestion or even our microbiome. Yeah, so it's often, sometimes we forget the microbiota part of the gut-brain axis. So it's the gut-microbiota-brain axis. So the gut and those bugs in the gut by virtue of how they affect signaling you know do we have the lining of the gut and all the rest but not going into too much biochemistry but those microbiota almost give a signal to the brain via the nerves so the vagus nerve obviously being the big one but again not to forget that the brain also affects the gut too and i mention that because when we're looking at whether it's gut disorders or mood disorders it's important to be mindful of that vagus nerve so you know techniques that we can use that are not just food and supplements but other things that help the vagus nerve actually as a, as a matter of interest might be useful to the to the listeners there's a new app called auric app how do you spell that o-r-i-c and i think it's a fantastic tool so it, there's a, a lot of the sound engineers put a lot of work into this and what it does is it changes frequency you put your own music on and you listen to it for half an hour and by virtue of how they change this, the frequencies again i'm not an engineer so i don't know the ins and outs of it but it it helps to activate that vagus nerve and can promote very deep relaxation so especially for anyone who is experiencing depression anxiety or just simply the effects of stress which is very commonplace so and prior to sleep too so those things yoga is huge again i would as you know robbie yeah. i like to train balls to the walls if it doesn't hurt it's not working so you know for a lot of people i'm sure to be a lot of listeners who like to train super hard you know we push ourselves and all the rest but yoga wouldn't be something i look forward to going to but i appreciate the benefits of it and again that sometimes you have to experience it yourself to to realize it but after i'd done it then i go back and look at the research and say okay there's actually this huge <laughs> yeah, body of research that should and again these are things that can change your biochemistry without us having to take any supplements like essentially if we just sit here and just belly breathe yeah exactly but i, I think yogurt is more to it than that and i'm not talking about the hard yoga like you know for me i like yeah. the slow mindful flow yoga is so what do you think it is do you think it's the, the breathing execution do you think it's just the, I think it's the, the movement state? patterns the, movement? the flow of it and like the breathing is a huge part of it too you know i mean like I admittedly struggle with the breathing part. I'm improving, but you become more aware of that. And it's also aware of your body. You're more mindful. You're not thinking about a million other things, but you're thinking of how does the body feel? How does it flow? Um, and all of those things have a profound impact on brain biochemistry. You know, like I said, I had to, to do it to believe it. Uh, but any form of meditation, I think, is invaluable for anyone with mood disorder. 
I wouldn't expect miraculous results like everything you have to keep doing it to get better at it mm. um, and the unfortunate thing for anyone listening out there but I say it because sometimes it's easy to lose hope when you struggle with mood disorders so it doesn't get fixed overnight even if you take an antidepressant antipsychotic you're not going to get better quick and it's one of those things like whether like I said depression anxiety or addiction it takes time you know um, with doing all the right things it's hard sometimes to see recovery happening so because it is so slow you sometimes get it's a process yeah. slow. and like I said if there's any history of traumatic experience whether in childhood or otherwise that doesn't heal overnight and you do have to work at it you know I see a lot of clients they come in and I ask them have they done counseling they say oh I didn't really like it and the thing is, it's not there to be liked, unfortunately, you know. Um, by way of disclosure, I've been counselling for the last two years on a weekly basis. And I can tell you very much, it's not pleasant all the time. But as much as it's challenging, no more than training in the gym, we see the results. And it's yeah. the same thing like training, you know. You're not going to be ripped overnight. Or you're not going to sprout biceps like in the, in the, in the case of, of a few weeks. And it's the same thing with mental health. We don't get better unless we do the work and that might involve looking at the gut it might involve assessing the nutrient status you know the key nutrients i suppose as we're on the topic of yeah. when we're looking at remember when we're looking at mood disorder we are looking at neurotransmitters so which are may, dopamine obviously is one so dopamine is the one that when we wake up in the morning we like to have a lot of dopamine because it makes us feel motivated, driven. We get a sense of reward or achievement. It gives us that feeling of energy. So as I often say, energy is more of a mood state for most people than anything else. So it, it gives us the desire to want to do things. The thing, the thing that spurs us on to want to go to the gym, to be social, to enjoy things, to get pleasure from things. Serotonin then would be more of a calming neurotransmitter but equally by contrast for some people it can be, they can f perceive it as stimulatory because it can be elating. So Can it sometimes mellow you out or maybe you don't say that? Yeah, exactly. So that's why you see people with uh, on antidepressants SSRIs, what they often report is that they feel flat. So they don't feel happy, they don't feel sad, they don't really care about anything, they're just a bit zoned out. That's obviously a case of too much serotonin going on but equally for some people with severe disorder that's better than being the way they might have been prior to the antidepressants. So, but I suppose to the context we're looking at nutrients or like rather than obviously if you're taking a neurotransmitter you're going to bring those levels up but if, you, if you're taking nutrients there may be the potential of optimizing or using the word yeah. balance which I don't think there's such thing as balance in your neurotransmitters but well everybody like I say I remember you mentioned uh, we talking about the Swiss and yeah. I was saying about the neurotransmitter soup and yeah, everybody's recipe is going to be that little bit different so what that means is we all have all these neurotransmitters in the body to keep it simple let's say dopamine serotonin GABA acetylcholine Okay, now GABA is again a calming neurotransmitter. If we take a benzodiazepine like Xanax or diazepam, which some people may or may not be familiar with, that acts on the GABA receptor. So that makes us nice and calm and chill. We don't care about everything. We're in great form, you know. Yeah. I, by way of disclosure, I don't recommend those. <laughs> but I, just to give people the context yeah. of the role of that neurotransmitter. Acetylcholine then would be a, one that's involved in memory, cognition, and things like that. That's one Charles would talk quite a bit about uh, in regard to the meat and nuts breakfast. Exactly. Yeah. So often people like it 
attribute the benefits of them eating up breakfast or meeting eggs, whatever happens to be, to dopamine, but it's also an acetylcholine because remember the eggs we get so many so much choline from yeah. the meat we get choline from and that's a well, precursor. Egg, egg yolks is probably one of the most dominant food in nature we would get choline. Agreed. And uh, funny enough, you know, if we're looking at dysbiosis, often people can't tolerate eggs. You have to wonder why is it that the that person can take those like eggs which are a super healthful food. Yeah. In most cases, it's a, there's a bug issue there. So it's not the foods that's the problem, but rather the bug issue. So when you say bug, like, are you talking about parasite? Are you talking about dysbiosis or what is that? Yeah, so when I say bug, it could be a parasite. It could be fungal overgrowth or it could be a bacteria there that's, that's not supposed to be there, which is manipulating the immune system response. So even I say to people, I really don't recommend food allergy tests until after they've done the stool test because if okay. that, that balance of bugs is disrupted, then you're going to have random immune response to food and the, the problem is for people's psychology when they see the food test and they say oh I'm intolerant to this or there's a reaction to this I can never eat these foods again and so yeah. and usually what happens is they eliminate them foods mm -hmm. they do another food allergy test in four weeks time it's and different but then now they, there are more foods they can eat. Oh yeah. So right. they're not actually using the repair phase, they're just elimination. To be honest, you could probably do a food allergy test from one end of the day to another and it'd be different. Mm. So when that's the case, okay, why is this happening? Again, you always want to ask why. So it's not normal for someone to be reacting to things like meat or fish or eggs, you know. Um, and I going back to the neurotransmitters because I know I have a tendency to ramble, but Ultimately, we can do a lot of work with amino acid precursors. Yeah. Um, again, this is in the context of addressing the gut first and foremost, because there ain't no point in taking any supplements if we haven't addressed the gut health. Well, let's even reverse even further. Let's address root cause trauma, mm -hmm. the history taken, and then let's look at the gut. Yeah. And if we were to go even further, then now we're on to assessing neurotransmitters through nutrition yeah. or... And the best way I find, you know, we can do tests. We discussed this earlier. We, we can do tests for neurotransmitters, short of doing something from the CSF. CSF? So the cerebrospinal fluid. So doing okay. a lumbar puncture and seeing what's going on in there. I don't know that the research would stand over any of the other... Doesn't sound too appealing? Yeah, well, not pleasant. <laughs> certainly not anything I'm going to be doing. So with patients. But obviously there's tests out there. We can look at the neurotransmitter metabolites. And as I said to you earlier, there does appear to be some consistency with symptoms and those markers. But yeah, again, I think, yeah, it's going to depend like on a daily basis. It's going to depend what they had the night before. Did they train an hour beforehand because that's going to have a exactly. huge... Exactly. Now, the Nutrafol, they're generally fasted anyway, so it's a first yeah. morning void. So there's some standardization there. But I just, obviously I'm a research person, as you know, and I don't know that the research is consistent enough with the markers to be able to use them as gold diagnostic tools. So when people talk about like neurotransmitter therapy or whatever you want to call mm. it, I think there's two kind of spectrums. One would be the use of essential amino acids, yep. which and for the listeners, there's eight essential amino acids that are used in certain ratios and that can help uh, as precursors to neurotransmitters. But also then there's another spectrum where they're using singular high dose mm. amino acids. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure of your perspective on either or, or you yeah. use both. Me personally or in practice? Um, in, in practice. In practice, I suppose if it's a patient who has mood symptoms, no, that can include energy because most people with energy issues, you're looking at neurotransmitter balance. Uh, yeah. With those people, if I've already addressed the gut first, then I'd be looking at specific neurotransmitter symptoms. So like what's going on with them in the morning? And food is first and foremost. Yeah, so, food first. You know, I, 
Do you have to have a protein fat breakfast? Great, because we know that changes the brain biochemistry, such as promotes, as we said earlier, the dopamine, the acetylcholine, and we're more fired up for the day, put it that way. Again, by contrast, in the evening, we want to, it's nice to have a carbohydrate meal if you are eating carbohydrates in your diet, um, because that promotes serotonin release and does melatonin to some extent. So when we're looking at single amino acids, I suppose precursors to dopamine, you're looking at N-acetyltyrosine in the morning time, empty stomach. So tyrosine is the precursor to dopamine so that turns on the channels in the gut that takes the tyrosine up to the brain and says make dopamine okay and uh, i, I, I kind of I, I think i know the answer but i'll ask you anyway why not just regular tyrosine l-tyrosine well i suppose it doesn't tend to give the same results from a blood brain barrier perspective and remember tyrosine is also going to have an impact on the thyroid too so some yeah. people even when you're looking at n-acetyrosine sometimes people do better with dl-phenylalanine which is further up the chain yeah. you know and i don't think people tend to get the same like it's blood brain barrier issue you know so the n-acetyl component helps it gets through that channel in the brain that so you know where it's going put it yeah. that way you know and for anyone out there you can even just google uh, let's say tyrosine neurotransmitter chart and you can see, look at look at the pathways from tyrosine to D-alpha-alanine to L-dopa, is that correct? And L-dopa, dopamine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the other thing that could be useful for people is dopamacuna. I don't know that you can get it in Ireland, but um, it is a useful one. Um, I'm not too familiar with that. Dopamacuna, I suppose, is, a, is an herb and it promotes the dopamine um, balance in the brain. So. Okay. It's mixed results, obviously. As for some people, they can be too stimulatory, so that's where those things become important too. Is the devil can often be in the dose. For example, five HTP. Yeah, you yeah. Know, a lot of people take it for anxiety, but there are some people that will react paradoxically in the sense that it can actually increase anxiety so it comes back to again the dose so me personally i can't take 5 htp it'd be wired for the night or it would just i notice it would precipitate anxiety and that's again coming back to something i probably didn't touch on but when someone has anxiety th- those are a collection of symptoms now the co- we use depression is actually an easier one to visualize so depression is low mood low energy lack of interest in things you normally enjoy and you don't motivation. no motivation yes yeah. so well motivation okay what what i will say in the context of depression for some people it can be a serotonin issue so they might not have enough serotonin in the brain or the serotonin metabolism isn't working properly they don't have enough cofactor or for whatever reason their serotonin isn't in balance with the rest of the neurotransmitters for other people it can be a case of low dopamine so you know, some people, if they take SSRI, they don't do so well because their serotonin might be perfectly fine, but there's an issue with the dopamine. So say someone in history of addiction, particularly towards cocaine, they suffer more with a dopamine type depression. Depression. So if they take anything serotonergic, they can react paradoxically, so they can get worse. Um, and like that's, you see the side effects of the antidepressants, suicidal ideation. So when it, when we're looking at amino acid precursors or nutrients for the you know cofactors involved yeah. in metabolism, it's important to recognize that they do have an effect like medication. So you can adversely affect, it's not a case of, oh, this is just going to do mild effects. It's, it's not, you know, so I would be very cautious of people experimenting at home with any supplements like 5-HTP or in acetyrosine, I don't think it's going to do too much harm with a relatively mild dose. But the 5-HTP, yeah, it's a bit different, yeah. 
It's yeah. actually a precursor to a neurotransmitter. Yeah, like, don't get so, me wrong, I know other people, they take 5-HTP and they sleep like a baby, but... Well, you really need to take it under someone that can guide you. Yeah, and that's why it's not on them. They can't get it on the yeah, market here, which, to be honest, I think is valid enough. You know, a lot of people would probably complain about it, but um, I think it's Im- it is important to have regulation in the market with certain supplements, yeah, like, like even St. John's word. Yeah. So when you look at some of the other supplements, uh, more nutritional supplements, more mm. broad-based, that would be much safer and... Like I, I, I know like magnesium comes to mind. Oh yeah. Methylated B vitamins, but uh, what is your perspective on like if you were to name I don't know your top three or your top five safe nutritional supplements for overall health and mood? Yeah, vitamin D. Okay. Definitely vitamin D with K two. Um, the B complex. So I do like a good B complex. Like for example, I'm have patients that come in with mood issues, and let's say we're going to do the test, but the test's not going to come back for two weeks. So to get them started feeling a bit better, what works really well is the B complex, a mineral complex too. So you know we're looking again at all so of what those. What are you looking for in a B complex or a mineral complex? Well, you want to have the methylated forms of the folic acid and the B12 first and foremost. I like a P5P in there too. Thiamine, niacin. Sorry for interrupting, but P5P is an active form of B6. Exactly, and again, it tends to work better for the brain issues, you know. Um, Because remember, something we haven't really touched on is SNPs, so. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking that, I think that's a great topic for the next episode. Okay, we'll leave it so. (laughs) But I suppose to summarize, one of the common ones, particularly where we are now in Ireland, is the MTHFR, and that does influence the type of V vitamins that are worth taking, so. Um, there's a whole pile so I'm just not going to go into it like yeah, at the yeah. moment but um, the B complex and mineral complex yeah, minerals that's, that interests me so what direction would you take with that and what are you zinc, looking at zinc zinc definitely selenium um, or lithium or lithium What's your perspective on that? I like the lithium yeah. Um I have a few people on the lithium orotate a low dose 5-10 milligram um, again it's for the listeners it's not the same as lithium carbonate use in psychiatry so okay. you know and those doses are like way higher and it does require like monitoring of the kidneys and all the rest and of the, the level so it's not that it's not the same form as the lithium that is used in psychiatry because that would not be okay to take over the counter obviously um but yeah i don't recommend it for everybody um purely from you know, I don't recommend anybody supplementing this in anything, yeah, you know. Exactly. And it's but yeah, I mean something I've used myself in the past are good results. It can be act as a nootropic as well. So that's something that I suppose helps cognition, focus, concentration. Um, but five milligram dose, not gonna do anyone any harm and it can give good results. Yeah. With the minerals as well, with the magnesium. Magnesium is huge. just you recommend? I or? like the magnesium bisglycinate, you know. And yeah. sometimes I will use a higher dose of glycine in and of itself with the magnesium glycinate. The reason being, according to the literature, it's probably one of the most useful supplements for sleep. So reducing yeah. the time to get to sleep and sleep quality. Um, again, the dose, like... If you get taken magnesium glycinate, it probably isn't high enough in the glycine. And it's relatively safe when you talk about like personalizing dose. You know, I could, could be ignorant to say that, but when I look at glycine in particular, it's one of the, probably the safest amino acids to take in isolation. Yeah, now remember like glycine can act as a neurotransmitter. Inhibitory neurotransmitter as well, yeah. Um, if you're on medication, I'd be cautious. Okay. Um, but actually, like there's studies with like schizophrenics on antipsychotics, and it does promote the antipsychotic effect. So precursor to glutathione as well. Yeah, so there's a lot of benefits, and even we're looking at uh, collagen and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, 
it's a useful supplement and like I said, relatively safe, um, even at very high doses. Like even in the literature you're looking at like a 10 gram dose against per body weight. But um, that's why sometimes I'd recommend the glycine alongside the magnesium glycine. Again, magnesium yeah. in and of itself is a great supplement. And oftentimes, especially if someone got issues, I do like the transdermal forms or even the baths of magnesium you know so um i find that they're quite useful and remember there's other factors involved in things that i might recommend so i might recommend a magnesium bath because of the magnesium but remember the process of going for a bath and sitting there yeah, is also therapeutic well, actually, yeah. you know um the heat yeah exactly and it's just the process of you're not going to be on the phone when you're in the bath hopefully <laughs> sensory deprivation even you're just chilling yeah. out yeah and again those things you might love dude is the freaking phone you know i don't know Personally, I hate the bloody thing. You know, some people love yeah. being on it, but I think it does cause a lot of problems for people. Because remember, we're contactable 24 hours of the day these days, and it's not healthy. You I always know? think, you know, when we talk about the gut, it's a symbiotic relationship between the microbes and you. Mm -hmm. Well, now there's a freaking symbiotic relationship between your phone and you. It's a, almost a part of you. It's crazy. But I do think there's, there's problems caused by the phone. Oh, 100%. And you, and you see, like, you go to restaurants, you go onto the bus, like I was just coming to the city centre today. Mm young children you know watching netflix or youtube kids or whatever it's like i think it's insane at such yeah. a developmental age yeah you know i'm so bad in the sense that like i don't even like reading on the phone <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. i like reading a book like in a paper which is inconvenient like, i don't even like looking at the ipad or anything like, i hate <laughs> yeah. computer screens like because I, I like i have the awareness but i'm sure like people aren't doing it deliberately but there's just so much tied up on the phone like the emails the messages and people expecting a reply straight away and it's just i think it's too much you know i think it'd be nice if you go back to the days of the nokia oh my so god many I, I think the same thing yeah it's a double-edged sword isn't it because some people need social media to network and it mm. for their businesses and then it's just like getting off the grid as well so I think when it comes to social media should have probably be changed in a few years too you know yeah. so I don't know what's the solution to it. There's certainly valuable components of it, but I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. But the important thing, as with anything, is to have the awareness of it, you know. And like things like the ORC app are great, you know. So yeah, I'm check it out. I wasn't aware of it. Do yeah, no, it's a bit tricky to negotiate using it. Like, but uh, it, that's probably for me again, not really a tech person, but um, it, it's super valuable too. Perfect. So, Doc, I'm so happy we got you on. Thank you so much for giving up your time because this was amazing. I, I learned so much personally. But I think the listeners are going to love this episode. So I'm definitely going to put in a show note at the start say, get your notebook out. Okay. I but, hope it wasn't too much rambling no, no, that in was, there. That was excellent. So um, just for any listeners that may want to get in touch with you, I don't know even know if you're taking on patients or you even want to disclose that. But um, where can people check you out if you, if you do want to give them details? Yeah, no, I do always take on new clients, you know. Yeah. Um, the way the system works is I'm happy to take them on. Not all the time, like, but um, there are certainly... I'm always happy to see people, especially if they're struggling. So um, the best way to get in touch is the email. So they'll okay. find that on the Instagram or the website. So okay. the website in the show notes as well. Yeah, and Jenny's on the email there. She's super quick at getting back to people. Okay. So um, happy to help, as always. Um, I don't think of obviously like if anyone wants to follow on the socials I try to post as much as I can I would highly recommend that as well because you post some amazing free content as well okay so it's great I'm not very consistent is the only problem <laughs> the nature of the there. job there can yeah, be yeah. busy days I don't know it's getting well, on you know, it's funny because you actually work and you, you see people mm. you're not one of those 
YouTube or social media specialist that doesn't even see patients. No, that's so. the problem. You see, I can't, like people often wonder, is there something wrong with me? Because I'm not on it. It's like, no, I just have a busy actually job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually work in real life. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's just funny nowadays. You do see people that are just like on the keyboard the whole time. That's just waffle. Just, yeah. You make it. But I try, I try to put up stuff when I can, or if I find something that's interesting reading, I think it's valuable, I put it up like, yeah. Perfect. Okay, thank you so much for that. You're very welcome, Robbie. So I hope you all enjoyed the interview, and if you do want to follow Fanula on her Instagram page, I've attached the link in the show notes, and I've also attached the link from my own Instagram page as well. If you did feel the information was useful, please share it onto a friend or a loved one, or do share it on your Instagram or your Facebook accounts as well. And lastly, if you could head over to Apple iTunes and give me a five-star rating, I would greatly appreciate that. Thanks, guys, and I'll see you on the next one.